Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here today with you taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. If you have things going on in your life, maybe, that you have... Um, that you'd like to ask about as far as what the Bible says about them, or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to talk to you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, that text line is 720-336-0897. Want to welcome all of those of you listening, uh, whether you're listening here in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. We are on the air from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way down to Pueblo, Colorado. So if you're tuning in today, listening to the show live, welcome. Glad you're with us. We also want to say hello to everybody who is listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. I have been getting actually some emails from more and more people calling or, yeah, writing from the East Coast saying that they're listening um, in New Jersey and in the uh, Philadelphia area. So we are so glad to be syndicated out there on Hope FM and so glad that you are tuning in. And we're also syndicated on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So welcome to the program. Those of you listening on Truth FM, on Hope FM and live on Grace FM. Just a reminder that those of you listening on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee, you're hearing this show on a one-week delay, but we would still love for you to call in, and we, we do get so many calls from many of you on the East Coast. We'd love to hear from you, and then you have the unique opportunity. You get to tune in one week after you call, and you get to hear yourself on the radio. Those who call in live here in Colorado and into southern Wyoming, they don't get to hear themselves on the radio. So cool opportunity for you guys. And we also want to say a big hello to everyone who listens online. We know that so many of you, even outside of our uh, local area here in Colorado, we know that so many of you listen uh, through our web app, uh, through our mobile app and through the website. So you can always go to the website, gracefm.com. You can listen right there in your browser, wherever you are in the world. And you can also get that mobile app wherever you are in the world. If you put that mobile app on your phone as you travel or, or wherever you move to, we know that there have been some people who have moved out of the area, but they still listen to this show and others on Grace FM pretty faithfully. And you can just get that uh, mobile app. Ju just go to your app store or Google Play and you can type in the search bar Calvary or sorry Grace FM and then you can listen to Calvary Live uh, every day. So yeah, get that mobile app if you don't have it yet. Just a few words about your uh, about myself. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We're a church that loves Jesus and we love to study the Bible. We love to seek him and worship him. 
and we are located in downtown Longmont. So we're right at 700 Longs Peak Avenue, which is the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street in downtown Longmont. We're just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is a kind of a central and historic building here in downtown Longmont. And we meet there on Sunday mornings from 10 a.m. And we would love for you to join us. If you are in the Longmont area, we would just like you to know, I want to personally invite you to join us this Sunday or any Sunday at Whitefields. Um, we are, God's doing some great things in our church, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Or even if you don't live in the, our local area here in Longmont or in any of the surrounding towns, uh, we have so many people who drive in from the surrounding area, from Berthoud, Mead, Frederick, Firestone, Decono area, uh, from Erie and Lafayette and Niwot and, uh, and Lyons, North Boulder. We would love for you to be a part of what God's doing. But if you don't live in the local area, maybe you know somebody who does. I know that so many of you have family members or you have friends who live up this way. Send them our way. We'd love to minister to them. We'd love to teach them the word and minister to their kids here at Whitefields. You can find out uh, directions, listen to some of our past messages, just check out our teaching archive at our website, which is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And, uh, and you can find out more about us on there. And you can also hear our program that airs here on Calvary Live. Our, our teachings air every weekday at 2.30 p.m. So weekdays at 2.30. So that's kind of school pickup time. So we know that so many uh, moms and dads picking up their kids from school, that's the time when you're doing that. So as you're waiting in that line, just go turn on uh, Grace FM and listen to our teaching program. And you can also hear us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if for whatever reason you're not in church on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., tune into Grace FM, and you can listen to our program. It's called Life in the Field, which is an allusion to how we live our lives on God's mission field. The number to call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. So this past Sunday at Whitefields, we finished our study of the book of Romans. We called it Saving Grace, and we finished it with just a great study by... Um, our worship pastor taught this past Sunday. His name's Mike Payne. He did an excellent job just showing how that chapter that a lot of people, you know, it's a list of names. And, and it can seem like one of these, I don't want to say throwaway chapters, but it can kind of seem like, okay, you know, there's not a lot of teaching material in here. Um, but Mike, you know, dove right into it and he showed very clearly how, you know, this this is actually a really important section because what it teaches us, all this information we've learned about what the gospel is and what the gospel does earlier in the book of Romans, this is really where it becomes practical, where you see actual people's names who were transformed by the gospel and then who were then sent out to preach the gospel. And man, it makes you remember that the gospel is about people. So that was our study last Sunday. Really good. This coming Sunday, we're starting a new series called Joy to the World, which is just for the season of Advent, which is the month of December. And so we have five studies, including Christmas Eve. And uh, that will just be about how the gospel brings joy into our life. This Sunday, we're going to be looking at the topic of how your joy will turn, or sorry, your sorrow will turn into joy. And we're going to look at John 16. 
where Jesus says those exact words to his disciples. He said, you're going to have sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And he says, and then you will ask of me and I will give to you and your joy will be complete. So we're going to be talking about the topic of joy this coming Sunday and about how the gospel turns our sorrow into joy. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Hey, and I want to tell you, if you are in this area or you know people who are, we are going to have two services on Christmas Eve and we would love for you and your family or your friends uh, to be a part of that. So Christmas Eve at 4.30 and 6 p.m. at Whitefields. More information, whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go to Gabriel in Westminster, Colorado. Hey, Gabriel, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. Hey, I had a question. Um, I wanted to be careful. I didn't know if this is kind of personal, but I wanted to ask you about your uh, salvation story, how yeah. you got saved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd be happy to share that story with you. So here's my story. I was raised uh, in the Lutheran Church, which I was raised in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and I still to this day have a great affinity for the Lutheran Church. I uh, learned so much in that church, uh, I was catechized in there, and I was uh, confirmed when I was 13 years old in eighth grade. I was confirmed in the Lutheran Church, and you know I learned a lot of information, and I got a really good foundation. You know, we we had to learn Luther's um, catechism, so I believe it was the small catechism that we've we studied, and um, yeah, so I. I did that. I studied uh, Luther's catechism. I There was a lot of memory verses, you know, because his catechism is kind of just a, almost a commentary on the scriptures. So I learned a lot of texts, uh, scriptural texts, memorized a lot of things. That was part of our catechism. And I just say that to say this. In, in the past, I probably didn't give enough credit to how important that foundation was for me. But I, I now see how important it was. But I'll tell you this. When I, uh, you know, after being confirmed in the Lutheran Church as a young person, I would not say that I was truly a Christian. I would not say that I was born again. Uh, I knew a lot of information, which is definitely good. Like, it's, it was helpful. And, and you might even say that those were the seeds of the gospel that God later watered and that bore fruit in my life. But, um... I, I would not, even if you would have asked me at one point as I, as I got, got into high school, especially my first two years, I was, um, was you know, getting into trouble a little bit, getting into some, some uh, you know, drug use and stuff like that, partying. And I mean, I wouldn't say, like at the time I thought I was like really, you know, really hardcore and out there. Now, now I just kind of look back on it and think, you know, I was a kid doing stuff that I probably shouldn't have. And I did suffer the consequences of it. You know, I, I had been a, um, I had been playing baseball competitively when I was growing up. I played in uh, traveling, like it was called zero league in North Denver and Arvada. And so we were kind of, you know, and so I went to Pomona high school uh, in Arvada, which wasn't my district school, but I went there for baseball. But because I started messing up so bad with the stuff that I was getting into and the crowd that I was hanging out with, I, I had to drop out of playing baseball, um, which in retrospect, uh, as a parent now of having kids who are who are starting to get to that age, I now realize that that was actually one of the worst things that could have happened to me because, you know, being in baseball actually kept me busy. So I was too busy to get in trouble. And um, and so I not being in baseball 
uh, freed up a lot of time, and I had a lot more time to get into more trouble. So I just went deeper into it. I started failing classes and uh, failing out of school and getting into a lot of trouble. And what happened was that there was a girl in my neighborhood who also went to Pomona, and she was... we. Were, both of us, again, we were out of district, so we lived over kind of by Regis University in North Denver. And so she moved down there, and so we were neighbors, and I started driving her up to school. And so it's a good 20, 25-minute drive, and she was a Christian, very you know forward with the fact that she was a Christian. And there was a time when we started talking about you know how I had grown up Lutheran and, and how I was a Christian. And there came this one point where she told me uh, one day, she said to me, you know, you're not really a Christian. And I was just floored by that. I was offended by it. I was like, who do you think you are to tell me that I'm not a Christian? And um, and she said very clearly, you know, she said, well, what's a Christian? Isn't it somebody who follows Jesus? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And she was like, well, uh, do you follow Jesus? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. And, she, and I was like, well, I guess I don't. And she pointed me to Matthew chapter 7, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and there's this part where Jesus says that on that day, meaning the last day, the day of judgment, uh, many people will come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, kind of that's, you know, passionate speaking. So people who spoke passionately, they knew the lingo, they knew the jargon, which I did. And, um, and they said, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We even cast out demons in your name. And he'll say, I never knew you, get away from me, you evildoers. And she said, is this you? Are, are you this person who knows a lot of stuff about God, but you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus? And if you were to stand before him now, he would say, you know, we never had a relationship. I never knew you. And I told her, no, that's not me, because I was too stubborn to admit the fact that I knew absolutely in that moment, I knew she was absolutely right. Um, and it bothered me. It bothered my conscience. I went home that night. And from that time, I started to have this kind of problem where I was afraid of dying. And I went to this party with a family member, a kind of uh, distant family member, kind of cousin. And, um, you know, it's kind of with her friends. They're punk rockers and they were into all kinds of stuff. And I remember coming home from that party that night just thinking like, okay, like if there's a hell... I'm definitely going there. Like, there's no question. And and I was just like worried because I realized that God was calling me and offering me forgiveness and offering me new life, but I was resisting. And my resistance was mostly based on the fact that I was afraid of what I would have to give up, which I now look back on and realize how silly that was because I was so afraid of giving up things which were ruining my life and which were actually making me miserable. And what's funny is that I was afraid that if I became a Christian, I would have a very small life. And now I look back and I realize that by becoming a Christian, it actually opened up so many doors to a really rich and full life. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity. I, I became a missionary uh, at age 18. I was able to travel a lot and, and do a lot of things that I loved. And I, I you know, met my wife over there and so many good things. And I think, man, how silly is it when people, um, you know, they'll hold on to something which is actually hurting them and ruining their life and keeping them from God and really destroying them and making their life small when God offers this wonderful life. And, and it's just, we believe the lie of the enemy that it's, that God doesn't want what's best for us, that he wants us to have something small when he's actually offering us something better. So, Gabriel, I talked a lot. 
<laughs> that's my story. No, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. I, I, maybe I should have said this before I asked the question, but I, um, I uh, maybe kind of a, a similar story. I, I grew up in church, and I remember when I was young, maybe like six years old. I think it happened twice, but my parents didn't really count the first time. I, I got saved. I went to my mom and said, hey, I want to uh, be a Christian like you. And then, you know, ever since I was eight years old, I kind of grew up in the church and, and all this stuff. And I've, I've always felt saved. I felt like I had a good prayer life and stuff, but I guess it's been in the past couple years. I just, I stopped going to church as much for, for a long time. My, my prayer life, prayer life really started to dwindle and, and kind of disappear. And now that I'm, I'm getting back into it into praying and, and looking for a church, I, you know, I just wonder, you know, what, what, what does it really mean to be saved? And, and there's times when I, when I say to myself, well, of course you're saved. You, you've had a relationship with with Jesus for a really long time, but then, you know, I hear about, like, I'll, I'll use Pastor Ed Taylor as an example. He, you know, came from one side of the spectrum to a complete another side of the spectrum, and hearing stories like that, as well as being encouraging, they're also a little discouraging just because I feel like I never really had, you know, some big sign that it was like, oh, wow, I became a Christian because my life turned from this because— in all reality, I was a, a homeschooled kid that grew up in, under my parents' wing, and, and I, I was kind of a good kid to start with, so it, it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of us, um, it's, it's not just one moment in our lives. You, you know, I think that that's kind of a misnomer or misleading kind of assumption that we should all have a moment in our lives that we can look and point back to and say, okay, that was the moment when I became a Christian. I think that for many more people, especially people who were raised in Christian homes, um, you, that point won't necessarily be a clear line where you can look back to and say, okay, that was the moment when I became a Christian. Before that, I wasn't a Christian, and then suddenly I was. You know, I think sometimes it can be a gradual process, but one day you look backwards and you say, okay, I'm clearly a Christian, although I'm not exactly sure where that point was. And, I mean, Gabriel, to me it sounds like you are a Christian um, and that you are trusting in Jesus and not in yourself. So I would just encourage you to have confidence in that. Well, thank you. I uh, I did I know I'm taking up a lot of time. I I was hoping to ask uh, for prayer as well, um, just in my faith in general, but also that I would that I would live at this this um, you know this falling of what I'm saying is falling of faith of you know losing my prayer life and not going to church as much has also been kind of it's been alongside you know mm. just making decisions that. I know aren't completely the best and you know I, I, I fight for God one day and then the next day I feel like I kind of fell off the wagon and I, I go through that cycle of shame and, and well, all let that. Me, let me just encourage you with this and then I'll pray for you. Uh, Gabriel, is just, I want you to remember this, that your right standing in Christ is not based on what you do, it's based on what He did. And everything you do is just in response to what He did for you. It's His righteousness uh, given to you, uh, paid into your account, accounted to you. And so when you really get that, you understand that your standing before God doesn't fluctuate based on uh, your good days and your bad days. And when you get to that point, you can actually rejoice 
and you can rest. And so I hope that that will be the case for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Gabriel. I pray, Lord, just let him be rooted and grounded in his most holy faith. Lord, may he grow in you and may he be devoted to you. And Lord, I pray that truly he would understand his place in Christ and that everything that he does for you would be a response to what you have done for him and that he would rest in the finished work of Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, you, Gabriel. You bet. God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's go to Dustin in Decono, Colorado. Hey, Dustin, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for holding. Hi. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yeah, um, so yeah, I was calling in. I had a... Uh, I've uh, I've had a Bible question that I've actually been researching this year, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, it's a very uh, popular Bible question. But uh, I haven't found. Um, seems like I haven't really found uh, as much conclusive evidence as I would like, and that is okay. about Revelation chapter eighteen. Yes. <laughs> um, about the identity of. Um, I, well, I, I guess my question was, could the potential identity of Babylon in Revelations chapters 14, 16, 17, 18, and 19, mm-hmm. could that same Babylon be uh, United States or Jerusalem? So my opinion is no. Um, my opinion is that um, this is speaking of a world system which is controlled by the Antichrist um, during this period. So, you know, there are a couple, there are like four different ways to read Revelation. And, um, you know, the, the one that you're speaking of is a futurist view, right, of Revelation, which would say that the things that Revelation speaks of are yet to come. I think even in that view, uh, it is a bit difficult to say that that's the United States or Jerusalem. And it, I wouldn't conclude that it's either. But I will tell you this. Here's what we know. Okay. Even let's, and let's just assume a futurist reading of Revelation. As opposed to a preterist or an idealist reading. Um, which are also interesting to consider. But let's, let's stick with the futurist version uh, reading of Revelation. And so um, this... Babylon, mystery Babylon, or or the whore of Babylon is another way it's put. Um, this is a an evil world system controlled by uh, a corrupt ruler called the Antichrist. And um, during this time, what we see is that this Babylon has uh, religious connotations. So there there's a spiritual adultery with the beast being the kind of the focus of this ungodly religious system that characterizes Babylon. And so for that reason, um, there were times throughout history, for example, Martin Luther, you know, he believed that this was speaking of um, the Roman Catholic Church. I don't uh, necessarily know that that's the case. Um, But anyway, so... 
I guess what we have to say is this. It's an evil world system controlled by the Antichrist, um, and it has religious connotations, so there's some spiritual adultery which characterizes it. So um, whether this is the United States, I just, I guess I just don't see any reason why I would believe that. You ask, could it be? Well, I guess it could be. But I, I think that like many things in Scripture, this is going to be something which probably we don't. We don't exactly know what it is, at, at least from our perspective right now in 2018. Um, you know, it could be, again, if we're looking at this from a futurist point of view, it could be something that is going to exist in the future, some kind of conglomeration of world power. So I mm. hope that answers your question. I guess it probably isn't as concrete of an answer as you're looking for. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, um, <laughs> yeah, that seems like, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of views upon that. And I've heard that same view uh, from a lot of uh, biblical scholars as well. So, um, but yeah. Um, so here, here's yeah. a few more thoughts on it. Like, we know that it probably can't be the city of Rome itself. So this is kind of one of the undercuts to the preterist view, right? Which says that this all this all happened in the past. Um, you know, it goes on to yeah. So I'm just reading something as I talk to you. But anyway, um, so it says probably not speaking of uh, the city of Rome, but um, it seems to be yeah. This great world power has worldwide influence over people and nations. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah, here's one more factor is that chapter 17, you know, describes uh, there being a series of eight and then ten kings who affiliate with the beast. And um, the whore of Babylon will at one point have control over these kings. But at, at another point, they will turn on her and destroy her. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure how you would tie that into... Um, into the United States or to Jerusalem. But uh, mm. I, yeah, I, I couldn't say conclusively that it is or it, it is one of those two. Well, um, thank you very much and for your time. All right, man. Keep studying the scriptures. God bless you. All right. Bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call. 303-690-3000. We have two minutes, or actually one minute until the break. I'm going to pick up this call. We're probably going to have to put him back on hold, but this is Jason in Brighton, Colorado. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Hey, just a heads up. We're going to go to break in like one minute. Um, but I wanted okay. to just pick up your call, introduce you, and then we'll get back to you right after the break. I see that you're calling about, um, his name was John, right? This boy from Haiti who had a surgery? Yes. Okay, cool. Hey, we're going to get back to you um, right after the break. And uh, I'm glad to talk with you. I'm glad you called in. I had somebody, I talked to you recently, Jason. I think it was like a week and a half ago. And you were telling me a story. I had people texting me and calling me after that saying that they were just in tears, just amazed at God's grace and sovereignty and providence with how 
you know, your lives as missionaries intersected with John and you were able to get him help and the doctors and all that. Just an amazing story. And so I'm looking forward to you sharing that right after the break. Awesome. Well, if you just hold, we'll, we'll get back to you right away. You're listening to Calvary Live. We're going to be going to break here in just a minute. The number to call, 303 690 It's 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. As we're getting ready for the break, I'll just tell you about something... Um, that I was doing, I just got back in town. I was in Florida this past week at this thing called the Expositors Collective. It's our third event of this kind. We're training up young pastors. If you're interested in more information, check it out, expositorscollective.com. So again, expositorscollective.com. You can find out what it's all about. It's all about training uh, the next generation of Christ-centered preachers. But I was involved with that recently and had a great time. But good to be back with you. We'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or questions about things going on in your life, if you're curious what the Bible has to say about them, or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you and discuss with you and pray for you. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Hey, while I've got you here, let me take the opportunity to invite those of you in the Longmont, Colorado area to come and visit the church that I pastor. We'd love to have you come and worship with us. Uh, just consider yourself personally invited. If you live in Longmont or in any of the surrounding uh, towns within um, within our, our near area, we'd love to have you come and visit us and worship with us at Whitefields in Longmont. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com, and you can find service times and location, directions, all that good stuff on our website. We'd love to have you uh, at Whitefields this Sunday or any Sunday. Let's go to our caller from Brighton. His name was Jason. Hey, Jason, are you there? Jason. Hey, how's it going? Good. Glad to have you with us. So, Jason, fill us in. Uh, fill in our listeners on what's been going on with John from Haiti. All right. So I think uh, last time I called was uh, Monday or Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and the uh, surgery was scheduled for Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. um, so he went into surgery that morning. They were uh, The doctors were expecting about four hours, and he'd be out of there. It ended up taking about seven hours. Um, they had to remove three-quarters of his lower jaw, and they took um, – pieces of his hip bone, cut those out, and then put them up in his jaw so that his, his jaw can grow back together there with those pieces of bone. Um, they got all of the tumor out. Um, I believe they sent it in for testing and found out it was benign, so it, it wasn't cancerous, I guess, um, you know, but they got it all out. It weighed about two and a half pounds, the tumor on his jaw did, um, wow. but it was removed. Um, 
you know, it's just been amazing watching God's hand work all over the place, all across the country with this whole thing. So it was successful. Um, he spent a couple days in the hospital in recovery um, with like an IV so that he could get fluids and, and um, had a little trouble getting him to start eating and drinking after that. But uh, he started eating and drinking, and he's actually out here in Colorado right now um, visiting. They got out last weekend, and um, he's still out here right now for uh, another week or two or so, um, hanging out and, you know, meeting people at church and people that have been praying for him and, you know, seeing some sights and everything like that. So, um, you know, it's just been really awesome watching God work from, you know, here in Colorado to the people in Connecticut to down in Haiti and just bringing every, everybody together um, to make it all happen is so cool. That's great. Hey, well, let's pray for that. I'm, I'm so glad to hear about that. I was just, I remember when you called before I shared that I had been down at your church once to teach and then another time uh, just for a meeting, we're doing an Israel trip together, our church and your church. And mm -hmm. um, I, I remember reading all about, John and what you guys are doing and I'm just so impressed with you guys but also just so blown away by what God did in bringing all those different pieces together because really there are so many pieces like you shared before so let's just praise him together for that so Lord what, I thank um, you for oh go ahead uh, real quick just a, a request with that prayer is um, just to make sure the healing continues to go as planned um, you still got it, it's still a little swollen and um, just to make sure that it doesn't get infected up mm -hmm. here. And, and when he goes back home down to Haiti, that, you know, it doesn't get infected to where it's going to, you know, mess up what was already done. Yeah, let's do that. Heavenly Father, we pray for um, John. We thank you, Lord, for your providence and your goodness that we see it in this young boy's life. And we, we just rejoice to see Lord, uh, how you've brought this to a conclusion, but we do ask even for this last piece, Lord, we ask for full uh, healing and recovery from surgery. We ask, Lord, for you to protect him and that he would not get an infection and that, Lord, you'd really protect his body. And Lord, we, we just thank you for your work uh, in his life and through your servants and Lord, we just praise you for that. We praise you that you're a good God who, who is overseeing all of these different pieces and able to bring them together. And I pray that, John, this would be just something he never forgets. And it's something which when he uh, wonders, you know, where is God, that he's going to remember the way, Lord, that you blessed him and took care of him and provided for him. And so, Lord, we pray that this would all be for your glory in a continuing way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. You bet. God bless you, Jason. Thanks for calling in. All right. We'll talk Bye. to you later. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Mike in Erie, Colorado. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the program. Uh, hi. How are you doing? Doing well. Hey, so um, just got some questions about some Old Testament stuff. I've been reading in uh, Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus and that region and uh, part of the Bible. And um, I noticed, and I, I just never noticed this before, but uh, the sacrificial system that was given to uh, Moses, um, all of the sacrifices seem to have been for only for uh, 
unintentional accidental sin, sin out of ignorance or just not knowing the law. And um, I was wondering what they had to do for atonement for intentional sin and uh, where, you know, when Christ came to fulfill the sacrificial system and be the sacrifice once and for all, where do we go in Scripture to see that it's explicitly describing both kinds of sin? That, that's my first question. Yeah. Um, and then my second question is just also regarding the Old Testament. I couldn't find anywhere in the Old Testament that says that sex before marriage is a sin. I see adultery, and I see where Paul talks about it in the New Testament, but yeah. in the Old Testament, um, yeah. So that would be my second one, second question. Great. Yeah, let's deal with yeah. this. So the first one, yeah, you are right, Mike. The Old Testament uh, sacrifices deal with unintentional sins. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, where What happened in the Old Testament with sins that were intentional is that restitution had to be made. So I'll give you some, some text for that if you're interested. Uh, places sure. like Leviticus chapter 6, uh, verse mm-hmm. 1 and 2. Chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, uh, like Book of Numbers, chapter 15 and 16. What we mm-hmm. see is that there were uh, cases like theft or lying mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. things like that, even cursing mm-hmm. one's parents or violating the Sabbath or committing mm-hmm. adultery. These things mm-hmm. are kind of interspersed throughout the Old Testament law. And mm-hmm. what you'll notice is that when something like that happened, uh, some kind of act of restitution had to be made. And one mm-hmm. of the acts of restitution in the case of serious sins was mm-hmm. that a person's own life was, you know, they basically it's like mm-hmm. accruing a debt. And mm-hmm. it, there comes a point where if you accrue a debt that is so big, the only way to pay off that debt is by the payment mm-hmm. of your own life, your blood. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we see that, you know, you, you don't only pay back someone money for what you've mm-hmm. taken or what mm-hmm. you've damaged. But mm-hmm. there comes a time when you actually have to pay with your life. Mm-hmm. And so and how see, was restitution made to God? I mean, if the person died, you know, when they died, how, were, how was their soul saved if there was no sacrifice to Yeah, that's a great question. The other part you got to remember is this. Like Hebrews makes it really clear. The Old Testament sacrifices never really took away sin. They really only covered it up. And mm-hmm. so it was like a, like a stopgap, you know. Mm-hmm. temporarily and what everyone looked forward to was the time when god would solve the cure, the curse of sin and death which we see at the very introduction of the bible right the bible gives us a mm-hmm. story of mm-hmm. humanity and a story of sin and what god is doing uh mm-hmm. to deal with that and that problem and an allusion to the solution is already given to us in the very opening of the book which is in there in chapter three you know it's called the proto-evangelium it's the first mention of the gospel and that is um where he says you know that there's this curse that's pronounced and then the serpent is going to be crushed and there will be this one who is born of a woman but not of a man and he will come and destroy satan and the idea there it's alluded to not said explicitly yet in genesis 3 but it is said later on that he will undo the curse and um, and so, where was I going with that? Gosh, um, we were talking about uh, getting right with God in the Old Testament. Yeah. Right, right, right. So here's an example of this: is like in Psalm 51, 
This is a time where we see that David committed a sin, right? And he committed a sin which was absolutely premeditated. He committed mm -hmm. adultery, and then mm -hmm. he had her husband killed. Mm -hmm. And um, and he says there a very interesting thing in Psalm 51. He says, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. Mm -hmm. What? Why would he say that? Doesn't God desire mm -hmm. sacrifice? Well, because for his sins, there was no sacrifice that could be made. Mm -hmm. And so what he had to do was he had to cast himself on the mercy of God. And you see, this is kind of the mode that people were in in the Old Testament. And kind of if you go through the Old Testament, you'll notice one mm -hmm. recurring theme is that a good luck finding somebody who didn't sin knowingly. Like mm -hmm. one of the right. heroes and the characters, we sometimes call them Old Testament saints because we believe that they are indeed saved. Um, mm -hmm. And and I get this is why I brought up Genesis 3. Is because people understood that that God was promising salvation, and yet so they didn't know exactly how it was going to come about. They knew that there would be this one who would come and he would undo the curse of sin and death. And somehow all of these things were pointing to the ultimate. You know, all these sacrifices were pointing to an ultimate sacrifice. All of these, you know, allusions to a king were pointing to an ultimate king, but they didn't probably have the full picture, because you know, as like Hebrews chapter one says that the revelation of God is progressive. And so um, so what they did is they cast themselves on the mercy of God and, and they just confess their sin. That's like what we see with David. He's like, well, there's no sacrifice to cover up my sin because it was intentional and it was, you know, it requires my life, really. Like that's what David's sin required. It required him to die according to the law. And yet he casts himself on the mercy of God and says, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, kind of like the, the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. You remember that was his prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That, that was all that they had. And so um, what we see with Jesus, and this is the mind-blowing and just, I hope it causes you, it causing me, as even as I'm talking about, it, to kind of rise up in my seat because I'm getting excited every time I hear the gospel. Because here's the gospel, that, that Jesus comes and he gives his life. He's not just a sacrifice, but he dies on behalf of those of us, all of us, who deserve to die. Right? And he right. comes and he dies, and that's why he's called in First John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is the means of appeasing God by dealing with the righteous wrath of God. In other words, Jesus not only paid the price, he not only fulfilled the sacrificial thing which we call um, um, uh, expiation, right? Expiation means to remove sin, but he also is the propitiation which is that thing for intentional sins, there was propitiation was needed, which means that there was a righteous indignation that God had. And Jesus took that upon himself so that we could be set free. It's amazing. And it's part of what makes the gospel such good news. Right. Right. Yes. Well, uh, that, that, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, I, I, um, I, I know Hebrews talks a lot about this, and you had mentioned also, you'd mentioned the tax collector, and it reminded me of, I think this was one of Jesus's parables where, you know, who's better, the Pharisee standing in the temple praying out loud or the, the man, you know, standing there pounding his chest, you know, saying, I'm, I'm such a horrible sinner, you know, and uh, kind of 
kind of reminds me of that. Um, so my second question was about the uh, uh, outside of marriage um, yeah. thing in the Old Testament. Yep. Oh, so Old Testament. Here's the thing that's really important to understand. Not everything mm. that's taught in the Old Testament is taught explicitly. So, for example, mm. um, for example, we see ex people being married to multiple people, right? Polygamy. We see mm -hmm. it being practiced mm -hmm. even by some of the heroes, mm -hmm. right? And so, right. you know, some people said, well, then I guess polygamy is good. Well, no, mm -hmm. because even though there's not a verse that says thou shalt not be, you know, polygamous, mm -hmm. it's still taught, but it's taught implicitly rather than explicitly, which means that every time you see polygamy in the Bible, it's always a disaster. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing. There's a principle which is taught in the beginning and then polygamy, for example, but also sex outside of marriage contradicts that principle. Now, to be clear, there is one passage in the Bible which does talk about uh, sex outside of marriage in the Old Testament law. Um, and With I'm a trying... slave, right? No, it's in regard to a woman. But yeah, in that case, the woman, uh, the uh, a daughter, a man's daughter, but that might actually sometimes have been treated in the same category as slavery. And the uh -huh. reason is because uh, indentured servitude was a way of paying off a debt. And sometimes they mm -hmm. would pay off that debt through indentured servitude, through the giving of a daughter in marriage. If that makes, I know that's a, that's a, that's a mouthful and it's a head full to right. wrap your head around, right. but that's why right. sometimes that's in the same category. It's all there in Exodus, I believe 22. 21 or 22 anyway um point being this that um there is a principle which is taught in um genesis chapter one then again in genesis chapter two and it's referred to throughout the bible in the into the new testament as well and it's this principle of what marriage is it's taught on the very first chapter of the bible you know so that's a pretty big important thing and it's that that one man and one woman before God together forever, they will leave, you know, this for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and they shall no longer be two, but they shall be one. And therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Right. So there's a principle. Every time that principle is transgressed, then we see that uh, things are disastrous. Okay. So that's true of polygamy. That's true of um, sex outside of marriage as well so i hope okay. that makes sense yeah 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 so it's not explicitly stated in the law like when people talk about the law of moses and six hundred well, what is that law what yeah. are the statutes you know if i were a lawyer and i were going to try a case based on the mosaic law what where would i look for this particular statute and that and it seems like some stuff is illustrated explicitly and others is more implicit Right, so that's of, why yeah. you have 613 laws in the yeah. Mosaic Law, and 10 yeah. of those are the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. The yeah. question is, what does adultery cover? So a Jewish per if you but here's the thing, Jews who mm. read and studied the law unanimously right. believed that sex outside of marriage was a sin. And mm. why? Because they believed that the law taught it very clearly, whether it oh. fell under the category of adultery or whether it fell under the category of transgressing God's original design and explicit principle. Either way, if you would have you know, gone to a Jewish court, if there was such a thing, 
right? They had judges, but they didn't have courts like we think of them. But if you would have, and you would have said, hey, you know, is it cool if I, you know, have sex outside of marriage? They would have said, absolutely not. That is right. a sin. So, yeah. Yeah. anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, cool. Mike. Well, hey, thanks, thanks for the thoughtful discussion. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts today. Let's go to Emmanuel in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Emmanuel. How are you doing? Hi, Pastor Nick. Good evening. How are you doing today? Doing great. Okay. My question is about um, evil spirit possession. You know, um, um, we have so many passages in the Bible talking about um, demon possession or evil spirit possession, you know. Okay. And uh, and I'm sure not every aspect was actually um, um, named or, or actually um, was pointed out in the Bible. But there are Christian denominations today that actually believe in an evil spirit possession called spiritual husband or spiritual wife. Okay. You know, spiritual husband or spiritual wife. I mean, I mean maybe uh, a couple gets married and medically they go to the they go to see their doctor and they're okay and um, I mean they're not able to have children first year, second year, ten years in marriage, and when they go into prayers and it's revealed that. Maybe the man has a spiritual wife, or the woman has a spiritual husband. Is there a biblical backup to this? You know, I uh, I saw your question in my queue, and I started reading up on it as I was uh, preparing to talk to you. And I really do not find any any biblical um, background for such a thing. Okay, okay. May I may I please point out a biblical background which is not in in the standard Bible, but it's in the Apocrypha Bible. But the funny thing about it is it's being practiced by Christian churches in Africa who who have been practicing it before. The, most of them don't have access to the Apocrypha Bible, Apocrypha books. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, the story of Tobit, Tobit, the book of Tobit um, had that kind of um, um, story. If you have a have some time, you can go through the book of Tobit. It actually mentioned a lady who was possessed by by marine powers or marine, I mean, a spiritual husband, and how the angel Raphael helped her out and healed her. But Christian churches who are actually practicing this have not actually, I'm sure that most of them haven't come across this piece of literature I just um, shared with you. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that most Christians haven't come across that. And and perhaps for good reason. Um you know, I mean, I personally don't think that uh, there's there's a very good reason why apocryphal books were not uh included in the canon of scripture. And um and I I think that those are the correct reasons. And so um I really don't think that we should be building any doctrines off of apocryphal books, especially when you know, that's the whole reason they were kept out of the canon is because sometimes they promote doctrines uh, which are not backed up by the rest of Scripture, which are in direct contradiction to the rest of Scripture. So 
Emmanuel, I mean, hey, it's really interesting to hear about. Um, a few thoughts on demon possession, just uh, for what it's worth. I think that it's really important for Christians to understand uh, a few things. Paul says, I don't want you to be um, to be unknowledgeable, or I don't want you to be, you know, yeah, I guess unknowledgeable is the only word that comes to my mind right now. Um, I don't want you to be ignorant, that's what I was looking for, about spiritual things. But uh, I want you to be I want you to be knowledgeable about these things. But I want you to know this: the the, the battles we wage are are spiritual in nature, right? Not just physical. However, the other thing that Paul says, which I love in Colossians, gives me so much hope and so much comfort, is he talks about how Jesus has overcome and defeated all of the powers and principalities, meaning the evil forces of this world. And in Jesus, we have victory over them, and they cannot. I do not believe that a Christian can be possessed by demons. Um, I, I believe that, you know, when Jesus talks about a house being divided against itself, that it, it's not possible if you have the Holy Spirit in you to also be possessed by demons. And so I just encourage anyone listening who is concerned about demonic possession, I'd say, well, here's one way to not be possessed by demons is to be is filled with the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit in you. And, um, you know, he who's in you is greater than him who's in the world. Um, and I also want to remind you that, you know, Jesus has triumphed over those principalities and powers. They still have some degree of influence in the world, but they are, to put it simply, kind of like a dog on a chain. They, they don't have free reign. God has limited them and actually uses them in his providence for his own purposes. And so I think that we can be very confident as we understand the spiritual warfare that exists in this world, but also confident in Christ as we now stand, um, that he has the victory and in him we are victorious. And if the Holy Spirit is in us, we cannot be overcome by any kind of demonic uh, oppression or let's put it this way, demonic um, occupation. I hope that makes sense. And uh, thank you, Emmanuel, for calling. Very, very interesting topic. And um, again, I wouldn't encourage anyone to build any doctrines off of the apocryphal books. Uh, there's a very good reason why they were not included in the canon of Scripture. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have come to almost the end of our show. We're going to take some text messages for the last four and a half minutes of our program. So let's go um, over to here. Uh, so, hello, Calvary Live. I'm new to the Christian faith. I'm torn between two perspectives as to what the fruit from the tree of life or knowledge of good and evil represents. Was it an actual piece of fruit that Adam and Eve ate in the garden, or was it a representation of sex? I'm a bit confused by this. I was introduced to these two aspects during a Bible study. Please help me get clarity and give me Bible scripture to reference. Thank you so much. Okay, well, I'll tell you this. Um, I do not believe that it was sex. And let me tell you why. Uh, I, I actually think that that's, a number one, a detrimental view. And it's an unbiblical view. It's a view which I would actually say comes more from pagan faiths, uh, pagan religions, pagan philosophy than it does from Christianity. And I'll try and make this quick because I see I have three minutes time. Okay, here's the thing. It could not have been that Adam and Eve had sex and that the fruit in the garden represented sex. And here's why. Because God had told them when he created them that they were to be 
fruitful and multiply. He had created a partner fit for Adam, a helper, and told them to be fruitful and multiply in the earth. See, I mean, I think you, you know this, and probably all of our listeners know this. And if not, moms, this is a great chance for you to turn off the radio. But here, here's the thing, that God created our bodies to fit together. And God created human beings, not just so they would die out after one generation and two people. In other words, if God created them for procreation and intended them to procreate, then there's only one way to go about that, and that is through having sex. And so why would God punish them for something which he created them to do? Why would he create them to do something and then tell them not to do it? So it absolutely could not have been sex. Was it a literal piece of fruit? I believe it was. I have no reason to believe otherwise. Um, here's the, Here's the other thing that this idea that uh, sex is a negative thing which God is somehow opposed to or which God somehow punishes is very, very not biblical. I mean, the book of Song of Solomon in itself should convince you of that. It's a book which is meant to celebrate physical love between a married man and married woman. And, and what God's saying is that he created this not only for procreation, but also for pleasure. And that is very important for us to understand the biblical doctrine of sex is actually an unbiblical doctrine which comes from pagan philosophy, Stoicism, Platonism, these philosophies which believe that physical pleasure is bad. And that is not what Christianity teaches. It actually takes a very positive view of the body, of the physical, and of sex particularly. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. I've been with you answering your calls and texts on the air. I'll be with you again on Monday. Have a great weekend and God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.